Morning. Uh, we do, uh, we love the megaphone, don't we? Uh, we love the bullhorn. And uh, one of the things that has happened in our culture uh, the last several years is that essentially uh, we have given everybody a bullhorn and everybody a megaphone through the outlet of social media. And so uh, you have lots of, uh, you, you are privy to lots of opinions, lots of ideas. And what this has done to us culturally is that this has given us plenty of opportunity to be offended. And uh, over the last five to 10 years or so, I think uh, we have become, in my opinion, uh, I hope this doesn't offend, but an easily offendable culture, uh, that we are easily offended uh, and easily upset. And that's kind of what this series has been uh, about. And I was doing uh, some research for the series and I just kind of had to chuckle and had to laugh. I came across a website uh, that was called How to Do Anything. And it would uh, uh, gave great insights and great ideas on uh, how to do almost anything. You really could look up anything on this website, but I came across a short little article on how to apologize. And I thought, oh, this is relevant uh, to our series. And it started out great. Let me show you the setup. He says, sometimes you can take a joke too far or say something that insults or demeans your friend without meaning to. If you find out that your friend was offended by one of your jokes, pranks, or comments, you might decide to be the bigger person and apologizing. Apologizing is more than just, I'm sorry, however, you want to make sure you acknowledge how you hurt the other person, understand where they are coming from, and take steps to make amends with your friends. While your friend may still be upset with you, a sincere, heartfelt apology will do a lot to repair your friendship. And then it says, all right, so it's going to lay out these steps on how to apologize. All right, this is where we're at in our culture now. And here's step one. Find a place where you can talk privately. All right, we're off to a great start here. And then here's step two of two, apologize. <laughs> two steps on how to do anything, all right? You wanna know how to apologize? Once you realize you've done something wrong, get your friend to a kind of private location and now apologize, right? Why do we need this as a culture, right? This is kind of a no-brainer to me, but it really is true. This is something that our culture struggles with. We struggle to give the apology and we struggle to receive the apology. Our culture struggles with this and uh, the Jesus way actually even goes beyond this a little bit. Certainly Jesus taught that if you offend somebody, if you upset somebody, you really should apologize. But the Jesus way, as we're gonna discover today, actually goes a step further and says, I am going to go out of my way as a follower of Jesus I am going to go out of my way to make sure I don't needlessly, needlessly offend anyone. And for, and for some people, this is kind of a radical and big idea. But this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show it to you in scripture, so you don't have to take my word for it. But this is the Jesus way, that I am going to go out of my way, right? I'm going to go out of my way to make sure I don't offend anyone needlessly. Now listen, sometimes it's inevitable, all right, we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Sometimes it's inevitable. Do you believe a certain thing about Jesus? You believe Jesus was a certain thing and you articulate that and someone gets offended? Listen, nobody's asking you to change your core belief about Jesus. So sometimes it's inevitable. Another time it's inevitable is uh, if someone is just overly sensitive and they're easy to offend. There are reasons you could needlessly uh, or accidentally uh, offend somebody. But the Jesus way is I'm going to do everything in my power to not offend. 
And I think we need a quick time out here for a quick definition. We've been in this series for three weeks now, but a real quick definition for how we're talking about offense. The Greek word for offended, it carries with it the idea of being led into sin by your offense. That you are so angry and you are so upset by what a person posted or said or, or did that now I'm being led into sin. I might be sinfully angry or I might be vindictive or I might have an unforgiving heart. It can be a lot of things, but here's what we know about this word. It never describes Jesus but it does describe the religious leaders who had Jesus killed. That Jesus is articulating who he is and what he came to do and what he believes. And Jesus is articulating this and in story after story, the religious leaders are hearing it and they're offended. They are angered, they are upset. And, and the, the very next step in, in their heart and in their mind is that now we have to kill this guy. This is scandalizo. The, the Greek word for offended. It is being led into sin uh, by, by your anger and, and in your animosity. So, so far in this series, we're going to uh, flip the script just a little bit because so far uh, we have been addressing this series as though we are the offended party. So how do you handle it when someone bugs you or irritates you or offends you or angers you? And we don't want to be an offended people. Right? We want to we walk in grace, and we want to walk in forgiveness, and we wa- want to walk in, in kindness. And today we're going to flip the script just a little bit, and uh, we're going to talk about how, what is my role in this? How do I make sure, to the best of my ability, that I don't scandalize people, that I don't so anger people, I don't so upset people, I don't lead people into sin by the way that I live my life. So we're going from the offended party to the offender and we're going to talk, and the Bible actually has something to say about this. So I want to introduce you to the church in Corinth. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I, I want to introduce you to this church. And, and this church, like if you've had a bad church experience and uh, you grew up in a, a, a dysfunctional church or whatever the case may be, you have negative feelings about church, you would love the book of 1 Corinthians. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing this book as a smackdown to the Christians living in, in this church because they were just constantly offending each other needlessly, right? They, they would uh, argue about who was the best apostle, like who, who was the greatest of all the apostles, right? Who was the goat of the apostles, the greatest of all time, right? And, and they defend each other with these conversations or um, they, they were offending each other on the issue of fellowship meal. Some people would go into a fellowship meal um, and they'd eat all the food. They'd eat a bunch of it and drink a bunch of it. And some people were being left with not much at, at all. They were suing each other over business matters. And so in this church, again and again and again, people had lots of opportunity to be offended, lots of opportunity to be upset, lots of opportunity to be led into scandal Lizzo, where I am so angry at you that like I'm lashing out at you. I'm unfor- I'm, I have an unforgiving spirit toward you. I'm seeking to actually destroy you. And then in chapter eight, as Paul unfolds all of this, in chapter eight, we come to the issue of food sacrifice to idols. So I know this sermon feels like a lot of setup, but just allow me one more setup here. Um, that in the city of Corinth, that city worshiped a lot of gods. Uh, and uh, so what would happen is the people that worship these other gods, they would sacrifice to that God in the city. And then the leftover meat, they would give to the market for sale. And so this kind of debate broke out amongst the Christians of, is it okay for a Christian to buy that meat? Right? They're not worshiping the God. They're, they're not following the God. But is it okay, if you feel like a steak, is it okay for you to go to the market and buy a steak that was sacrificed to an idol? 
right? Is that okay or, or is that wrong? And there were Jesus-loving, uh, committed Christians on both sides of this issue, and people were getting angry. It was causing disunity. It was causing uh, offense. And Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 4. Here's what he says. We're going to walk through this text a few verses at a time. So then, about food sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Let's pause here for a minute. Paul, at the very beginning of this, he articulates the two arguments that people were making in the church. Argument number one is an idol is nothing in the world, all right? An idol is nothing. There's one God and one Lord. An idol is nothing. So if you want a steak, praise be to the Lord, you go get a steak because an idol is absolutely nothing. And then argument number two is no, no, no. There is no God but one. There's one Lord, only one Lord Jesus. We worship a God alone, so we shouldn't buy the meat sacrifice. We're worshiping God alone. Don't buy meat sacrifice to an idol. And Paul articulates the two views. And he says, you know who is right on this subject? Yes. Yes, they're both right because Paul is articulating and is, is going to articulate again and again that this food sacrifice to, to idols issue is a matter of conscience. It, it is a matter of, I, I don't like using this word, conscience is a better word, but allow me the grace of this just for a minute. It is a matter of opinion. It is a matter of conscience. And listen, we live in a culture where this category is disappearing. Where we have been sent to our respective corners and we are forced to take one side or the other. Are you for right or wrong, good or evil? And we forget that many, many, if not most, many, many issues are indeed a matter of conscience. They are a matter of of opinion, that people can have opposing views to these types of issues, and they can both be correct. You say, no, we just don't understand this in our pragmatic American minds, that people can have opposing views on matters of conscience, and they are both correct, because your conscience tells you to do this, and my conscience tells me to do that. And Paul does articulate like the most overarching and important truth of everything is that you believe in one God who created all and one Lord, Jesus Christ, who is above all. That this is the most important thing for somebody to believe. Do you believe in one God? Do you believe in one Lord, Jesus? And in addition to it being the most important thing, it also provides a lens for us to navigate these issues. And we have to think critically here, all right? So let's take off, if you're a Republican, take off your Republican hat. If you're a Democrat, take off your Democrat hat. If you're a certain sports fan, we're, all, we're gonna take off all those hats right now and we're just gonna think critically for the next five to 10 minutes about this issue that I feel so strongly about. And this issue that I think is so important, does it really affect someone's ability to know the Lord? Does it really affect somebody's ability to know God? Does it impact them eternally? Does it impact them spiritually? I want you to pause for a minute and think about that, and let's move on with the text. All right? Just hold on to that for a minute. Verse 7. 
but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God, nor worse. Uh, does not bring us, food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it, and no better if we do. So the answer to this food sacrifice, I don't think, and you can tell Paul has an opinion on this. I suspect that Paul is like me and he liked a good steak, but, right? On this food sacrifice to idol thing, he says, food will not bring you any closer to God if you eat of it, and it will not bring you further away from you if you don't. You are no worse if you eat, no better if you do. So Paul is putting this issue of food sacrifice to idol in the matter of conscience. Again, in the matter of opinion. He says, when it comes to one God and one Lord, like those macro issues, Paul does not put this issue into that category. He says, this is a matter of conscience. This is a matter of opinion. Do whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to do. So politics, sports, culture. I want you to think about your thing for a minute. The last thing you thought about on social media or at the coffee shop, do they bring people near to God? Is it an issue that is tied up in one God and one Lord who is above all and, and through all? Is someone worse off with God if they like the Bulls versus the Pistons, Green Bay versus the Bears? And the answer is obviously yes, but uh, no, no, I'm totally kidding, right? Is someone worse off with God if they like a certain sports team or don't like a certain sports team? Politics. Is someone worse off with God if they like higher taxes? or if they like lower? Are they worse off with God if they like unions or if they prefer free markets? Are they worse off with God if they believe in a wall at the southern border? Is somebody worse off with God if they believe that? Are they worse off with God if they believe uh, that we should have open borders or closed? I know we like to make these big spiritual issues in order to make our point, but think about it. If somebody wants the wall or if somebody doesn't want the wall, does that affect their standing with God? We have to think about this. You say, well, they're wrong. That's not the issue, all right? The issue right now is does it affect their standing with God on what they believe about taxes or wall or other cultural issues? Does this affect their standing with God? Uh, and because Paul, with food sacrifice to idols, Paul does not put this in that category of anything that matters in terms of your relationship to God. Paul goes on in the text to describe how we navigate those types of issues. He says, be careful then. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating in, in an idol's temple, won't that person embolden, be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Now, Paul determines, he says, when you have determined that this is not a one God and one Christ sort of issue, when this is not a salvational, eternal, really macro important issue, Paul's advice, I want you to notice it, Paul's advice is not don't have an opinion. Paul clearly, read the text, he clearly has an opinion. 
Paul's issue is not don't have an opinion. Paul's uh, summary here for us, Paul's uh, exhortation to us is not don't have an opinion, it's be careful. Be careful. Do not buy your opinion on a matter of conscience, on a matter of opinion, where one person's conscience tells them one thing and another person's conscience tells them another thing. Do not lead someone into scandalizo. Do not put a stumbling block in front of your brother. In Paul's situation, he says, let's say you think it's okay to eat and you go into a, a, a temple that was built to one of the false gods and you go in there and you have a great big old buffet of meat and you love it and you enjoy it and somebody walks by and they see you in there eating all of that meat and they think, man, my conscience has told me not to do that but Steve's in there enjoying all the meat that he wants, I will go in there as well. And Paul's point is no, they shouldn't go in there because their conscience told them not to, right? And, and this is a matter of conscience. So they should follow their conscience. And Paul's point is this, your brother ends up in a bad place because of the way you handled your freedom, right? This is Paul's kind of macro point here. He says, don't in the way that you handle your opinion, don't in the way that you handle your conscience cause your brother or your sister to end up in a bad place. We don't, in the way that we operate in, in these matters of opinion and matters of conscience, we don't want to lead anybody into sin. And I think Paul's example of food sacrifice to idols is one example, but I think in this culture that we live in, this can happen in many ways. That over a matter of conscience, over a matter of opinion, you don't want to make somebody sinfully angry, do you? Over something that is opinion and over something that is kind of, you don't want to make someone sinfully angry. You don't want to cause a division in the body of Christ. You don't want to lead somebody to animosity. You don't want to cause someone to say things and do things they shouldn't do. You don't want to end in a, a, a friendship and end a spiritual influence over what? A matter of conscience? A matter of opinion? Paul says, are you really prepared? And I, I get, I'm preaching, all right? So don't be offended. That would be so wrong on this sermon for you to be that way, all right? Paul says, we don't want to lead people to a bad place, spiritually, emotionally, or physically, in the way that we handle matters of opinion and matters of freedom. And here's the ironic thing. The ironic thing on the food sacrifice to idol thing, the ironic thing is that initially that was not a one God and one Lord issue. But Paul says in the way that the Christians in Corinth are handling it, it is becoming a deep spiritual issue. People are ending up further away from Christ because of the way Christians were handling these arguments. So again, Paul is not teaching, don't have an opinion. Have an opinion. I have lots of them. I'd be happy to share them all with you, right? If you like steak in Paul's era, he said, like steak. It's okay to like steak. Be careful. Be careful what you're giving your life to. Be careful what you're giving your life to, advocating for and arguing about. Just be careful. Because in the way that you handle these matters of opinion, I know you all. I know a lot of you anyway. And I know me. I don't want to see anybody further from Christ because of the way I argued about taxes 
and the way I argued about a wall and the way I argued about a sports team. I don't want to see anybody further away from Christ because of the way I handled my freedom, right? And so this is not the first time Paul taught on this issue. Um, way back, it's a kind of a long passage. I'm going to read the whole thing. It'll be on the screen for you. Back in Romans, Paul articulated the same idea about food sacrifice to idols. And uh, I wrote about this this week. If you uh, uh, ever read my blog, um, all uh, three of you that do, I appreciate your support. Um, I'm teasing, but uh, in this, uh, Paul talks about, I call this the Pauline code, the Paul code for how we deal with matters of conscience and how we deal with matters of opinion. And here's what Paul says. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Christ, that nothing is unclean itself. Paul has an opinion, all right? He has an opinion. You wanna eat? Fine, eat. He has an opinion. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. This is a conscience thing. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. And this is the issue for Paul. He says, don't you lead someone further away from Jesus over a matter of opinion, over a matter of conscience. Therefore, do not, uh, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better for you not to eat meat, uh, to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is uh, not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So here is Paul's oath on disputable matters of opinion and conscience. Oath number one, I will not pass judgment on another person on these issues because matters of conscience should be kept as matters of conscience. So if I determine that this is not a one Lord and one God issue, then in grace, I will allow more people to have their opinion while at the same time keeping mine. All right, so I will not pass judgment on another person. I will not destroy another person by intentionally leading them into sin. I will not intentionally stir the pot to make people angry and to arouse people to anger over these issues. I will not cause someone to be divisive by drawing unnecessary lines in the sand. I will not stoke the fires of hostility. I will make every effort to do what leads to peace because I will not destroy the work of God over disputable matters. That I will put on my boxing gloves and I will get into the arena and I will fight for love. 
If I am a Democrat, I will fight to figure out how to love Republicans. If I am a Republican, I will figure out how to love Democrats. If I am a Cubs fan, I will figure out how to love Cardinals fans. If I am a Cardinals fan, I will stop condescending to Cubs fans, right? I will strive for peace. I will strive for unity, and I will fight for love. So I will maintain my opinion on taxes, and at the same time, loving you for your wrong opinion on taxes, right? I will keep my opinion on the wall, and at the same time, love you while you keep yours. Here's a big one. I will keep more matters between myself and God. I will realize that I don't need to publicly share every opinion I have. That some things are between me and God, and they are my matters of conscience and my matters of opinion. So I don't love doing this in a sermon, all right? But I wanted to share with you in this, as, as the sermon draws to an end, how I have implemented this in my life. I don't like using myself as the example. I wanna share with you how I've implemented this in my life. Um, and I also wanna be super clear, this is Steve. This is Steve. This is the part of the sermon, throw this out if you want. The rest of the stuff, be mad at Paul, all right? Because it's pretty much directly from him. Uh, but this, you can be mad at me about this, all right? So here's how I have implemented this. There are subjects that I will rarely comment on, rarely comment on, and never argue, all right? So there, here's my first category. Things I will rarely comment on and never argue. So for me, this is a pulpit thing. Um, and, and I had to learn this lesson, but for me, it's sports. That when I first came here uh, 13 years ago, there were times that I would make a flippant comment about Michigan State athletics being better than Illinois athletics. All right? In all seriousness, I, I would do this somewhat on the regular for my first couple years here. I regret doing that. I, I do, and let me tell you why. A few years ago, as a matter of conscience, and this is a matter of conscience, if another preacher does this, don't bust their chops. This is conscience. As a matter of conscience, I felt I shouldn't do that anymore because I felt that those comments, and nobody said anything, nobody did anything, this is just a conclusion I came to, uh, the Holy Spirit, whatever, right? Um, that those comments were impeding the true message that I wanted to advocate for on Sunday. So, I, so for me, the, the way I have applied this is that I will rarely, if ever, on this stage, make comments of that nature. I'm still wearing my shirts. I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit did not tell me to do that. So, um, and if I stopped wearing Michigan State shirts, I would, I'd wear the same shirt every other Sunday. So I'm still wearing the shirts, all right? That, that's, that's a matter of conscience for me too. But I, I have stopped the commentary because I don't want to impede the true message that I'm trying to share. On Facebook, I will make sports commentary more, but I still, even on Facebook and social media, I try to rarely comment on sports, but when I do, I will not argue. So if I make a comment about Michigan State or I make a comment about the Packers or whoever, I may post an article and make a comment. If you try to engage me, I won't fight with you on it. I'm not, I'm not gonna give my life to fighting about sports. That's just my matter of conscience. So there's that category. There are things I will comment on more regularly than I do sports, but I won't argue. 
So if you follow my social media account or my blog, every now and then I like to make a comment on a political story and how my faith informs the way that I see that story. And fully understanding that someone else's faith may inform the way they see the story in a different way. I will comment on that. I will comment on taxes. I will comment on the wall on social media. I won't do that from up here. On, on, uh, on, uh, on social media, I will give my opinion on some of these matters. I will not spend much time arguing with you about it. I won't. That, that I, this is me now. and you, This is the part of it you can discount. I'm not giving my life to that. I'm not. So I'm not going to give my life fighting to taxes, although I have a strong and I believe informed opinion on taxes. Um, And uh, I'm not going to give my life to fighting for or against a wall. I'm just not going to do that. So um, and uh, so there are times I will comment on more regular, but I'm not going to argue a ton. I may make one comment back or or whatever. And uh, listen, social media encourages this. And every once in a while, like on a friend's page or whatever, they'll post some comment and I'll get into a little exchange or whatever. And I don't know about you, but I almost always will go home. She was like, how was your day? And it will be something like this. I did a stupid thing today. And they're like, what, what are you, I, I got into a Facebook fight. And, and I almost always regret it. Right? And so I'm trying to, empowered by the Holy Spirit, there are things that I'll comment on, but I'm just not going to argue There are things I will comment on and will always advocate for, right? So for me, these are my thoughts on God. These are my thoughts on the Lord Jesus Christ. I will most often post thoughts about that and feelings about that. And if someone gets a little testy about that, I will advocate for my point of view the strongest on matters of faith. But all that being said, I don't do this perfectly, but I try to understand even in a disagreement over one God and one Lord, I am still bound by the laws of God's love. So there is no, we've said this throughout this, there is no situation where God's like, you tried, you get to hate them now, right? You tried to get through to them about, I mean, certainly about like taxes or the wall, but even about the Lord Jesus Christ, you tried to make your point of view known, they're not going for it, cool, hey. There is no verse like that. No matter what, we are bound by the laws of God's love. So even when I'm advocating a faith point of view, I am bound by the laws of God's love to be patient and kind and understanding and to keep no record of of wrongs. What this means in this category is I'm also never going to concede, unfortunately, on matters of faith, on the matters that are most important to me. There's not going to come a time at the end of that argument where I like, you know, matter of opinion, you think your way, I'll think my way. That's probably not ever going to come out of my mouth. I will say, I, I think we need to table this discussion. I might say that, but I won't concede you're right about Jesus, you know, I was wrong, you know, that just to make the peace, right? I, I'm not going to attempt to make the peace in that way. So I advocate for my position, the strongest in this category, but I try to remember I am bound by the laws of God's love. And here's why I wanted to share with you how I try to navigate this stuff is I want you to see, this is like super complicated. It it is, because I've read this stuff like on immigration. Immigration has been made a spiritual issue on both sides of that equation, right? And so you're trying to navigate this. It feels like a spiritual issue. I I don't know how hard to advocate for. I don't know what what to do. And, And it's hard and it's complicated and we don't know what to do, but it is worth the struggle. On disputable matters, matters of conscience, 
This is just me. I will do everything in my power to not offend you. I'll do my best to not offend you on disputable matters. On what I consider to be indisputable matters, right? My understanding of scripture, my understanding, one God and one Lord, I will at all times love you, but you're probably gonna be offended by my views on Jesus. If you're looking to be offended by that, you're probably going to be offended by my views of Jesus. If you don't believe the same thing I do, I will always love you. I will always walk with you in that way, but in that moment, offense is probably unavoidable because I'm not gonna change my core convictions about my Lord. Make sense? And that, my friends, I love ending a sermon this way, that is where we're gonna pick it up next week. All right? Uh, Next week, we are gonna continue this conversation about there are times where offense is unavoidable where you believe something about Jesus Christ, you believe something about God, and someone is just offended by it. Paul, me, nobody is gonna ask you to change your view in that moment. It's just offense is unavoidable. And guess what? The Bible actually has a lot to say on how we navigate that as well. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We wanna navigate this well, Lord. It is so, so hard to figure this out. Um, but I know on disputable matters, sports, for, for me, for sure, sports, a lot of political issues, a lot of cultural issues. I just want to go out of my way to not offend for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of your good news. I don't want my views on any political issue to be a stumbling block for someone coming to faith in you. I know I have failed on this. I know I have. I know I've not navigated this well. But Lord, I want to pray for me and for every person in this room that we would do it better and that we would not give up the fight trying to figure out how to do this better. And on indisputable matters, matters regarding our faith in you, matters regarding our belief in you, matters regarding our worship in you, sometimes offense is gonna be unavoidable because we love you and we believe in you and we follow you and not everybody does. And so sometimes offense is unavoidable. Would you teach us and show us how to navigate those waters remembering the law of love? And it's hard and it's difficult but Jesus shows us the way. So help us to keep our eyes on him. It's in his name we pray, amen. And we are gonna receive communion right now. And this is a time for us to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, who did this, by the way, very well. There were some things he knew about himself, who he was and what he came to do. And those were the things, like when Jesus claimed to be God in in human flesh, that's what was offensive to the religious leaders. And that offense was unavoidable. It was unavoidable. But Jesus shows us how to navigate these waters well. And we're gonna pick up that conversation next week. But for right now, as we receive communion, we just wanna put our focus on Jesus right now and say, man, Jesus, we wanna be like you. That when you were hanging on that cross, he prayed, man, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was still governed by the laws of God's love, even from the cross. 
And offense in his case was unavoidable because he knew who he was. He knew what he came to do. He knew who he came to be. And there wasn't, it wasn't like Jesus obviously just placates, or I don't want to make you angry. He knew offense was unavoidable. But he operated within the laws of God's love. Even when offend, someone being offended led to the ugliest place imaginable, a Roman cross. And so he is our example. I want to be like him. I don't want to cause anyone to be further from him because of a, a silly opinion of matter of conscience. But on the matters that are most important, I want to be like him. I want to stay true to my convictions while demonstrating love. Jesus help us to do that. So we're going to focus on him right now. We'll pass out. Uh, there's two cups stacked on top of each other in the tray. One has the bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is just an opportunity for us to hold those two cups and to look, look at Jesus. I want to be like you in this matter. I'm not going to give up my core beliefs in you. I'm not going to do that but I can be governed by your laws of love. Help me to do it. And, uh, so, and then I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll take them all together as a church family. So we'll have our ushers pass them out.